0: It is good to be back at the assembly. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chad. I was here a few months ago, and so I take it I either did okay or y'all were desperate. Either way, I'm back this morning, and uh, it is good to be back. I, I want to remind you, I was just sitting on the front row, and it's going to take a long time because I really feel like I have a word from the Lord, but sitting on the front row and reminded and felt encouraged to remind you of, of how much an anomaly this church is. Um, I grew up in small towns. I've invested a lot of my life into rural ministry, and churches like this don't just happen in every rural community. And so I would be remiss if I did not remind you how incredible the church you have, how incredible of a pastor that you have. And so I think you should give it up for yourselves this morning because you have an incredible church and doing incredible things here. So it's, it's good to have my... My mother and father-in-law and my grandmother-in-law, I don't know, that, I just call her grandma, um, but they missed their church over here today, and I'm thankful for that, and then uh, I, I, don't, I don't usually do this, but I, this doesn't happen very often. I pastored a church for four and a half years in Carruthersville, Missouri, and uh, two of the people that went to church there are here this morning. They saw that we were going to be here and drove up, and so Kara, uh, thank you all for coming and uh, being here with us today. It means a lot to me, and uh, we're glad to be here. The message I'm going to preach this morning... Um, Before I do that, I I was here last time, so a lot of you bought my book, Dancing with Destiny. I don't want to talk about it a lot, um, but if you wanted it last week and or last time and you didn't get it, or if you didn't want it and you want it this time, it's out there. I'll be out there later to give it to you. Um, But the message I want to talk to you about this morning, um, I have preached this passage of scripture. I have never preached this word before. I've uh, I really felt God just kind of laid something new on my heart for this weekend. And so it may be awesome, it may not be. We'll figure out by the end of it. Um, but I want you, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Um, if you've been in church for some amount of time, this is probably a familiar story to you. Um, if you grew up in church like I did, we sang songs about this certain story in the Bible. If you're new to church, you've never heard this story, I I believe you're in for a treat. It's a very um, unique story in Jesus' ministry. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him, they're talking about Jesus, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with, her, with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, so it's important to note, he, he didn't say this out loud, he kind of thought it in his mind. And said, if this man, if he was a prophet, would know what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus, because Jesus always can read people's mind, answered, even though he didn't say it out loud, knew what he was thinking, and said, Simon, I got something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. So there was a certain creditor who had two debtors, who one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing which with, with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love more? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. And he turned to the woman, but he said to Simon, he said, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss me, my feet, since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. I want you to hang on to that story. I'm going to use it as the topic of our conversation this morning, and really going to expound and bring it, uh, hopefully, more alive uh, as we dive into the message. But, uh, you know, I just celebrated a birthday a few weeks ago. I'm hanging on. I have one more year in my 20s. I'm I'm just turned 29, and so as I, but I've learned something as I near uh, that third decade and 30. There were some things that my parents told me growing up, and. My grandparents and some other things that, uh, some other well-meaning people that they told me some things that uh, I took as rules. I believed them, and as I have matured and gotten a little older, I have found out uh, they were not necessarily one hundred percent truthful with me. Maybe you can relate. Um, you ever been driving in the car at night and you go to turn the light on, and your mama tell you. Don't turn that light on. I'll get pulled over if I, if you have that light on at night. Y'all's mother didn't tell you that lie, <laughs> okay? Right? As a matter of fact, sometimes at night my wife still tells me that lie, and I'm like, I am I'm a grown man now. I know you're not telling me the truth. This is not true. Right? I, I when I was growing up, there was uh, that my mom would always tell me we need to put some peroxide on that cut, and I always opted for peroxide because the other option was rubbing alcohol, and that was going to burn a lot worse. Um, but, you know, there are, there are legitimate medical studies that say those healing bubbles in the peroxide, some of you are going to be mad because you did this last night, uh, they, they aren't just taking care of the infection, they're actually slowing down the healing process. So, thanks, Mom, for all those years of peroxide. How about um, don't sit too close to the TV? It's going to mess your eyesight up, right? Again, I, I looked up on medical websites. Now, there is a study that shows if kids sit close to the TV, it's probably uh, some of it could uh, show that they have nearsightedness, but reality is, is they can plop down in front of the TV, and it's not going to bother their eyesight at all. I'm going to be honest. I, until I did that research, I lied to my daughter just a few weeks ago because she sat in front of the TV, and I said, like, Baby, you're going to hurt your eyes. Get back and, I had to repent. I said, I'm sorry, I lied to you. I didn't know what I, actually, I repent. My mother lied to me, and and so it was just a habitual thing. She told me, and I told you, and it's not true. Um, How about this? Don't swallow the watermelon seeds because grow in your belly, right? My grandpa used to tell me growing up, that's why we put salt on it, so it don't germinate in there. I used to think every pregnant woman was... (laughs) Wasn't able to why do only pregnant women why do only women get why do they watermelon only grow in their bellies? I didn't understand all of it. How about how about don't swallow your gum because it'll take seven years to pass through your digestive system and I'm gonna I tried to be obedient to this but I, I grew up in church and in the church I grew up in you get in trouble for chewing gum in church and so I'd get in trouble for chewing gum in church but then I'd also get in trouble for sticking the gum under the pew in church so there were just only a few options and so there were times that I had to swallow it and so I lived with this real fear growing up that the gum was piling up in my stomach you do the math if I swallowed gum in the second grade I was in high school before it had already passed through my system but I, legitimate digestive research the only harmful effects happen when you swallow pounds of it in a short amount of time so let me help you the next time you feel like swallowing gum embrace your inner rebel and you just swallow that stuff and no your mama lied it's not gonna hurt you the way she said it was I'm trying to make a point and those stories are humorous and we've all believed that and there's a, there's a whole other list of things that we could go through to to bring that more to life but reality is this. There are certain things that we have accepted in our lives as truth that are not truth. We've accepted some things in our life that have far more significance than swallowing watermelon seeds or sitting too close to the TV or turning the light on in our vehicle at night. We have accepted some spiritual things to be truth that are not truth that have far greater implications on our life in the long run you see one of the things that they tried to get people to do in jesus day that i believe has passed down as it did from my mom to me to now my daughter is afraid to sit too close to well she's not too afraid to sit close to the tv but she should be right but what happened is it started with them and it passed down to me and I passed it on. And there's some things in our spiritual lives that well-meaning people at some point thought was accurate and then passed it down, which passed it down. And come to find out it even happened in Jesus' day that the religious elite were so focused on the outside and not the inside. They, they had all of these rules. That's why Jesus would talk to the spiritual elite. And he would call them whitewashed tombs. What's he saying? He said, "You look really good on the outside, but you're still dead on the inside." You, you see, and, and so, so I, I think sometimes we've bought into this lie. We show up in the services like this. We show up in in churches and 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 in and, in and, and, and services, and and we come in with a certain persona. We come in with a a certain attitude, and we'll. You, you get met by the greeter at the front door, and, and they say, how are you today? And, and if, you know, I'm well or I'm great, or if you grew up in the church, I did. or oh, I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed coming in, blessed going out. I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm the head. And I just thought, is that really how today went for you? <laughs> Maybe, but I'm, not every Tuesday goes that way for me. And what happens is we, we've brought into this idea that we have to look like we have it all together. We're not allowed to be broken. And I want to focus on that word this morning, brokenness. This is going to be a paradoxical statement, but in order to be made whole, you have to be broken. God, through circumstances and different situations in our life, allows us to be broken in order to be made whole. The only way to wholeness is through brokenness and we don't talk a lot about brokenness in our culture today nobody on their resume writes the word broke brokenness doesn't get you very far in boardrooms we don't live in a culture that values broken things we live in a throwaway culture because most of the time it's cheaper to buy something new than it is to buy the part and pay the labor to get something fixed and the problem is our throwaway mentality has moved from objects and it's impacted the way that we view life and the way that we view people. When we look at the brokenness of our own lives, we give up on our own selves because we don't value broken things. But Jesus gives us a different lens in which to look at this thing called brokenness and he invites us to come and look at people and look at situations through this perspective and when you look at that person or those people or that situation through the lens that Jesus allows us he always sees what is broken as beautiful William McDonald wrote a book entitled Lord Break Me this is how he opened the book usually when something is broken its value declines It disappears altogether, so broken dishes, broken bottles, and broken mirrors are genuinely scrapped. They are thrown out. Even a crack in the furniture or a tear in the cloth greatly reduces the resale value. But this isn't the way things work in the spiritual realm. In the world, we know if something breaks, the value goes down. I want you to hear this. But God puts a premium on broken things especially on broken people. God puts a premium on broken things, especially broken people. When God sees broken, he calls it beautiful. I read to you from the story in Luke chapter 7, and it greatly illustrates this reality that he sees broken as beautiful. And I'd like to recap that story and over the next few moments and help it come alive to us. And so we understand in that story, Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's home. The Pharisees we learn through the story, his name is Simon. Simon is a Pharisee. A Pharisee, are, they are religious leaders in the community. And, and you understand that Simon was a leader among leaders. He was one of the best. You have to understand this about the culture. The invitation that Simon gave, in inviting Jesus into his home, was an obligatory invitation. Most of Jewish culture, even to this day, is still based on tradition. It's a traditional culture. And so there is a much higher expectation. For hospitality in their culture than there is in our culture. So their customs and traditions obligated Simon to invite any visiting rabbi into his home. And so out of obligation, Jesus shows up in town, Simon hears it, and out of obligation, he invites Jesus into his home. He's fulfilling that responsibility, but his heart is not in it. You see, the Pharisees, if you read any amount of Scripture in the New Testament, especially the Gospels, you'll understand the Pharisees were not very fond of Jesus. So he doesn't really like him, but out of obligation, he honors tradition And I want you to kind of bring this into context. Consider if we were going to have dinner this weekend, and I invited you to my home. And you showed up at my house, you rang the doorbell, and I opened the door, and you stuck out your hand in a traditional greeting of hello. And when you did, I just kind of brushed past you. I saw your hand, but I didn't acknowledge your hand. I gave you the cold shoulder and pretended like I didn't even want you there. That would be pretty audacious, wouldn't it? You would be pretty offended. You wouldn't be very happy with the situation. You see, essentially, this is exactly what's happening when Simon doesn't greet Jesus with a kiss doesn't wash his feet and doesn't anoint him with oil. They are a tradition-based culture, and tradition was for him to do all three of those things. Normally, at least, if the host didn't wash the feet, he would have someone else in the home wash the feet or at the very least allow a wash basin to be available for them to wash their own feet. Because what would happen at dinner is they would recline at the table. The table would actually be close to the floor. And they would either sit on their knees with their feet behind them or they would sit cross-legged. And their feet would be filthy from walking in sandals on dirt roads. And they would have their filthy feet close to the table. And you understand this. Simon would have done this gesture. He would have kissed them. He would have washed their feet. He would have anointed them with oil. He would have done that for someone of way less stature than Jesus, just the common person that visited his home. He would have done that for them. But he gives Jesus the cold shoulder. And in verse 37 of Luke chapter 7, this woman shows up on the scene and things begin to be a little awkward. You see, Luke diplomatically describes her in different translations as a certain immoral woman. and our translation that I read from the New King James, he calls her a certain sinner. You see, that is Luke's diplomatic way of saying that she was a woman of the night, that she was a prostitute. This known prostitute comes into the house of this devout religious leader because she knows that Jesus is there. And when she shows up, people begin to get a little uncomfortable because she is there. She is most certainly out of place in this social environment. But somewhere along the way, she must have heard something Jesus said or something that he taught. Maybe something that she saw Jesus do or overheard a conversation that he had. But somehow, it made her believe that no matter how broken she was, she could approach him and he could make her whole. He gave her the hope that God somehow could take the broken pieces of her life and make something beautiful out of them. And in her brokenness, she shows up as an uninvited guest to a dinner party. Never in a thousand years would this lady have been invited to this party. In honesty, she would have spent her entire life trying to avoid, avoid these kinds of people and this kind of moment. And to be equally fair, The people, the Pharisees, and the religious leaders that were in the home would have also spent as much effort trying to avoid her and her kind of people and this kind of moment. Everybody at the party had tried to avoid each other and being in this situation. Except one man, Jesus. Jesus could dine with the Pharisees, but he could also, many times in Scripture you see him dining with tax collectors and sinners. Somehow he had bridged the gap to be in both worlds. And something she heard him say, something she saw him do, something that she saw him offer and, and to someone else in a similar condition, it made her hope that she, she had to meet this man. And she knew how people were going to look at her when she entered the environment. She knew they considered her broken beyond repair. She knew that the Pharisees that owned the home would have considered her to be someone that should be thrown away. And to be quite honest, she probably wouldn't even disagree with them. But she hoped against hope that of all people, Jesus would see her differently than anybody else. And so driven by hope, this woman does something impulsive. She does something socially awkward. she It's inappropriate and probably even unacceptable. But Jesus is reclining at this table, and I believe just by reading the story, he is kneeling while at the table with his feet behind him because Luke 7 says the woman came up from behind and began to wash his feet. So I picture this as him kneeling at the table with his feet behind him. And you, you get this image of Jesus reclining at the table of a home that he was invited into but not really welcomed in. And a prostitute comes in in a socially awkward way and she feels the stares of the people and the condemnation of their thoughts. And and in a way that only Jesus can, he knows that something powerful is happening in this woman's heart. I don't know how he did it, but somehow he disarms her. Somehow she feels like, even though they don't want me here this moment is okay might have been a warm smile or a look but somehow he conveyed to this woman that he was different than every other person in that room that she probably felt that he was genuinely delighted that she was in his presence and when she saw compassion in the eyes of Jesus. We read the story she becomes undone she fell at his feet and the tears started to flow a, a few in the beginning and then the deep sobs and, and she fell on the ground and she began to kiss his feet and, and as she does the, the tears fall from her face to his feet and she realizes the water of her tears are turning the dust of, on his feet into mud and she she knows the culture, she knows the rules, she knows their traditions, and she recognizes that this man has not been properly welcomed into the home, and so she's trying to do what the host should have done, and she's washing his feet with her tears, and she realizes, I don't have a towel, and based upon how this host has already treated Jesus, he's probably not going to let me bother him to get a towel, and so she does what she should not have done, in any situation she takes her hair down and she uses her hair as a towel to wash the feet of Jesus and you have to understand how scandalous this act is in the in middle eastern culture women keep their hair covered it is their glory the only time a woman would let her hair down would be in an intimate setting with her husband in her own home and she would never let her hair down in public and it was so scandalous for her to let her hair down. She breaks every social taboo. She dries his feet with her hair. And then she has this bottle of perfume. I'm not sure if you've made the connection between why she would have the perfume. But based upon her profession, it would have been a professional expense. It would have been a professional necessity another gospel tells us that this bottle of perfume was worth an entire year's wages that you see a year's worth of work was represented in that bottle her future was represented in that bottle her past was represented in that bottle of perfume and she she would probably take one little bit of perfume per client but in this particular moment she's so broken that she takes the whole bottle and she pours the entire bottle on the feet of jesus i don't know if you understand the significance of that moment that she empties when she empties the perfume she's not just doing what simon failed to do in anointing his feet there is a message in the emptying of that bottle jesus what she's saying is jesus the money i used to buy this bottle of perfume was money i made in a very sinful and scandalous way and and i'm just here to tell you i don't want to go back to that life. I've tried to change and I and I couldn't change and, and I've talked to the religious leaders that are in this room and they all don't want to do anything, have anything to do with me. They run away from me and so I, I just know I don't want to be who I am and this bottle of expensive perfume represents everything about me that I don't like about me. It represents my past. It represents my future and unless you change me it's going to represent the rest of my life. I don't want to be this. I don't want to go back and and I want you to change me and so so I'm willing to empty all that I am all that I have my past my present my sin my scandal I give it all to you will you please change me and it is inappropriate it is reckless it is impulsive But Jesus looks at it and calls it beautiful because he always sees what is broken as beautiful. And as Jesus always does, he turns the situation on its head. It's not what you would expect because if you look at this situation from a 30,000-foot perspective, you would think that Simon is a religious leader and he has everything together. And so Simon should be applauded and the prostitute should be rebuked. But what happens is that Jesus does the exact opposite. he applauds the woman caught in sin, and he rebukes the Pharisee because he knows that she is broken, and he is broke. The story ends with Jesus giving, us this, giving this lady an incredible sense of value and purpose. In verse 48, he tells her, your sins are forgiven. In verse 50, he says, your faith has saved you. She's made whole, and if you follow her story out through Scripture, her life is changed forever from this one moment. So I'm going to ask you this morning a trick question. And I'm going to tell you up front, it's a trick question. I'm not asking you who are you the most like in this story. I'm asking you who would you rather be in this story? Would you rather be Simon? because he has it all together, he's well respected, he's a leader of leaders, he's looked up to by the people, he dresses well, he lives in a nice home, he constantly has guests like Jesus over for dinner. Everything is right on the outside, but falling apart on the inside. Or would you rather be the prostitute in the story, who is a broken mess, but experiences the love and grace of Jesus in a very deep and profound way, that, that, that would you, who would you rather be? And here's why it's a trick question. Because if we are very transparent with ourselves, everybody in the room wants to be both. We want to have it all together on the outside. We want to be well-respected and thought of well by other people. We want to wear the mask and pretend and we want to smile so that no one knows there are actually a few chinks and cracks in our armor. And at the same time, in the middle of our pretending, most of us still deep down want to experience the love of and grace of God in a very deep and profound way. I want you to hear me this morning, friends. It doesn't work that way. The only way to true wholeness is through the process of brokenness. The only way to wholeness is through the door marked broken. If you want to experience the love and grace of Jesus deeply, if you want him to impart the value into your life that he did into that woman or the purpose or the destiny, it only comes through brokenness. And here's the good news. We are all broken. We are all already broken. And if you don't think that you are, You are the most broken today. It is proven in Luke chapter 7. The man who thought he had it all together. Who felt superior. He didn't believe the woman belonged in his house. He is a rabbi. That means that by the time he was 12 years old. He would have known by word the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He would have known every one of those books word for word by heart. He, in, in the Old Testament, there are 300 prophecies about what the Messiah would be like. And by heart, he would have known every one of those 300 messianic prophecies because he is trying to, he is trying to have his heart prepared for when the, the Messiah steps on the scene, he'll be ready for it. And what we see what we see is that the Messiah is not only on the scene, he is sitting at his table and he misses him because he's broke and not broken. He is broke. And you see there's a difference between being broke and being humbly broken before God. Simon was broke and too proud to know it. The prostitute was broken before God. And I want you to know that Jesus is drawn to the humble awareness of our brokenness like a magnet. He pursues it. He chases after it. Simon devoted his entire life to know when the Messiah would show up. But he, in his superiority, misses him. God comes to his house and he's so broke that he doesn't even know it. That's the thing about brokenness. The less you see it in yourself, the more desperately you really need it. Because the only way to wholeness is through brokenness. You are already broke. I am already broken. And my hope is that the Word and the Spirit will bring that revelation to us. The, The whole point of today's message is to bring us to a place where we can stop trying to hide our brokenness. A famous sociologist in, in a TED Talk on vulnerability said this. said, most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted kid, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one affair away from being those people. The ones we don't trust, the ones that we pity, the ones that we don't let our children play with, the ones bad things happen to, the ones that we don't want living next door. We are those people. You are them, I am them, we are all broken. We are those, listen, there's not a person in this room that is not broken. We are those people. We are those people who minimize the hurts and pains of others as long as our needs are taken care of. We are those people who yell at each other on the way to church, get out of the car, put a smile on our face. We come in and we lift hands during worship and pick up the yelling and screaming. And as soon as we get in the car on the way home, we are those people who think God is more impressed by the rules that we add in addition to our lives. We are those people who go deep into debt trying to keep up appearances. We are those people who look down our noses in condemnation on people who are different than us. We are those people who work 50 plus hours a week trying to prove that we have a little bit of worth and value. We are those people who take the easy way out and escape into pornography. We are those people who punch holes in the sheetrock. We are those people who spend hours on social media trying to betray a life that's not even what we're really living we are those people we are all broken but what do you do with that brokenness you try to hide it you want to know how this plays out ask any kid who throws a baseball through their neighbor's window what do they do pretend they didn't do it and hope nobody finds out that they did so they don't get blamed for the broken things. And that child becomes an adult, and and though they may not do that with the neighbor's window, they do that with every area of their life. They pretend they don't have broken parts and hope no one else blames them for the broken things in their life. We have to have a humble awareness of our brokenness, and if you hear anything this morning, please hear this. God is not repelled by what is broken in you. Jesus is not repelled by what you are ashamed of. He's attracted to it. I know it doesn't make sense, but Jesus knows the only way through, to wholeness is through brokenness. And on the other side of that journey, He will make you whole. He sees what is broken in you as beautiful. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to make that which is broken whole. And it's only after you experience that brokenness that you can find wholeness which leads you to your purpose and your destiny. I want to give you a familiar story. I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up. You've, you've read or maybe heard of the feeding of the five thousand in the scriptures. And there's four verbs that ought to be the prayer of our heart today. In Matthew chapter 14, here's what it says. Jesus is feeding the 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And, and, and he says, feed them. And they said, we've got two loaves and uh, uh, five fishes. You know, well, we don't have a lot of food. And he says this in Matthew chapter 14. He says, bring them to me. And then he commanded the multitude to sit down in the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, don't you see these verbs. He took the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. The disciples gave to the multitude. Take, bless, break, give. He took the food. He blessed the food. He broke the food. He gave the food. If you want to get real deep, it's the same thing he does at the Last Supper. He takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it, and he gives it. There is something supernatural that happens when we let God take us, bless us, break us, and give us. And the prayer of our heart today should be, take me, bless me, break me, and give me. I can't do it without you. And you know what? My potential can't be realized. And my life can't be multiplied until I'm willing to be broken. J.B. Miller said, whole unbroken men are of little use to God. I grew up around horses. My grandfathers both had horses. We had horses growing up as a kid. And one of the words that we use for a horse to when they finally are able to be ridden and saddled is what? You break them. So all of their power, all of their potential, all of that beauty becomes harnessed and can be used for good once it is. jeremiah 18 the lord gave another message to jeremiah and he said go down to the potter's shop and i will speak to you there so i did as he told me and found you there so i so i did as he told me and found the potter working at his will but the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and he started over and the lord gave me this message O israel Can I not do to you as the potter has done to the clay? And I want to say the same thing to you. Oh, the assembly church, can God not do to you as the potter has done to his clay? For every one of us, the jar has not turned out the way we thought it would be or the way we wanted it to. There are hurts and pains and happenings that didn't show up on our radar. And there comes a moment where the jar is shattered and we have to decide what do we do from here. Will we hide the pieces? Or will we bring the crushed pieces of our jar and clay and trust them in the potter's hands? As an illustration, as I get ready to pray and transition into the last part of our service, the pastoral appreciation moment, I begin to think, what doesn't work until it's broken? Because we, our lives, don't work until they're broken. And I brought the largest glow stick I've ever seen in my life. I was going to maybe try to find someone and pass them out, but then I was afraid maybe one of them would be defect, and you would take it as a prophetic gesture that your life was just going to be broken and never work. So I decided not to do that. But there's light inside of this. There's potential inside of this, there's purpose inside of this, but it does not come into effect until we break. Maybe I got the defect. Me that other one. I brought a backup just in case. (laughs) Oh, here it's working. Thanks, babe. Oh, she looked good this morning. (laughs) You see what happened? Took a moment, but the brokenness released its potential. The same is true for you. If we were to turn the lights off, it'd show more. But the same is true for you. If you'll put your broken life into the hands of God, he will show you your purpose. You see, we spend our entire lives trying to hide our brokenness for some reason or another. But our light shines the brightest when we are honest about our brokenness. And as you break it, there's a cracking sound, so that means it's going to hurt. It's not always easy. It's uncomfortable. But on the other side of that journey is a wholeness. And I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that maybe you would allow God. Maybe you would trust him. The way you've always said that you did. But in actuality have not. You say, how can you say that? You don't know me. You're right. I'm just speaking from experience of all the times I said I trusted God but never trusted him enough to give him the broken parts I never trusted him enough to go through that journey I've been Simon way more than I've been the prostitute because I have been arrogant and thought I could take care of myself and look good out here so everyone would think I was right but on the inside been tore apart and I would rather live with everyone knowing my shame and being made whole than to pretend the other way today.